Hello and welcome to Overdrive, a program that broods over the world of cars and transport. I'm David Brown and in this program we look at news stories from around the world including a Queensland court case that could trigger massive refunds. We hear about a few major car launches this week. We road test in detail the just announced Mitsubishi Outlander and in our panel discussion with Brian Smith and Errol Smith we take a light-hearted look at stories including a dress made from 192 public transport fare tickets. Have a question or a comment? Send it to overdrive at drivenmedia.com.au. Now let's get the program going. First the news. A court case in Queensland could result in thousands of speed camera fines being overturned if a top barrister wins his case. Tony Morris QC's Volvo was caught doing 57 kilometres an hour in a 50 zone in Brisbane last year and he received a $146 fine. Morris claims he was not behind the wheel at the time. He is responsible for nominating the driver, if he knows who it is, who was in control of the car at the time. He claims that he cannot do this, invoking a spousal privilege case from 1817. The spousal privilege principle, established in England 200 years ago, means a husband can't be compelled to provide information that incriminates his wife, he says. Mr Morris says the case is not about money or dodging legal responsibilities, but simply a test case to see if the legislation is valid. A significant number of people using autonomous cars in the future will suffer from car sickness, according to research carried out by the University of Michigan Transportation Research Institute. The results indicate that 6 to 10% of American adults riding in fully self-driving vehicles would be expected to often, usually or always, experience some level of motion sickness. China riders would have the same results, while Indian riders would suffer more, at 8-14%. to Australian, UK and Japanese riders would suffer less. The reason that the results are not higher, and the differences between countries, is related to the number of people who will still concentrate on the road, even in an autonomous vehicle. 30-44% to of people will watch the road, even if they are not driving. California's South Coast Air Quality Management District has begun construction of the first two-mile-long stretch of its e-highway system. The system works by fitting out trucks with pantographs, retractable overhead rigs that connect the vehicle with overhead power lines. For that section of the highway, the trucks can run like an electric train, getting their power for an electric motor from the overhead wires. The system aims to help reduce the smog problem in Los Angeles, and they are looking at other locations in their area to extend the system. They see that it could have application across the nation, not on every road, but certainly wherever there is a high volume of truck traffic, such as around ports, freight depots and rail yards. The Victorian government will consider an application to allow heavy vehicles to carry increased loads in an effort to boost freight productivity. Container Transport Alliance Australia wants to increase the limit to 85.5 tonnes, 
which would allow transportation of two fully loaded shipping containers. Under the current rules, two large containers have to be transported by two trucks. Recent experience in the UK suggests that larger trucks do not have as bad a crash record as smaller vehicles, and that larger loads mean less trucks on the road. This is not an easy decision though, as the strength of bridges and the damage to the road surface are factors in increased loads. Making car engine parts out of plastic may be a way to further lighten modern vehicles, according to a German research group. Fraunhofer claimed to have found a way to use plastic parts in some sections of the engine. The pistons would still be of metal, but the casing might be of plastic. Fraunhofer developed a way to create an injection-moulded plastic engine housing that can withstand high temperatures, pressure and vibrations without losing strength. Their plastic casing weighs 20% less than a similar one made from aluminium. They still use metal in high-stress areas, so one of their problems they had to address was how to make the plastic expand and contract at the same rate as the surrounding metal. Robert De Niro has been cast in the lead role of a new movie about Enzo Ferrari. The movie, aptly called Ferrari, will be based on Enzo's autobiography, Ferrari 80, and is rumoured to be directed by Clint Eastwood. The movie is said to cover from the mid-1940s to his death in the 80s. Apparently the movie is to be a big Hollywood production, with a multitude of other well-known actors playing significant roles. This movie, for the car enthusiast, comes after the success of Ron Howard's Rush, which portrayed the fight for the 1976 F1 World Championship between Nicky Lauda and James Hunt, while winning, based on the racing career of Paul Newman, and Snake and Mongoose, about drag racing, should be released soon. Tom Cruise is also rumoured to be playing the role of Carol Shelby in the future. And that has been the news. For a number of technical reasons, we couldn't have our regular road tester Brent Davidson with us this week. It's a shame because there's been quite a few launches of some new cars out on the market. Firstly, the Mitsubishi. They've just released their new Outlander model, and that's a medium SUV vehicle in that class, which is quite competitive. The big performer is the Mazda CX-5, followed by the Nissan X-Trail and the Toyota RAV4. They have uh, all do pretty well. Then comes the Subaru Forester, the Jeep Cherokee, the Honda CRV, the Kia Sportage, and in eighth place, the Mitsubishi Outlander. But the new model might be helping them. We're actually getting it very quickly. It's only been a few weeks since it was launched for the first time at the New York Motor Show. That's the new model. Now, what constitutes a facelift, an upgrade, or a makeover, or indeed a whole new model? Well, Tetsuro Akawa, uh, the Mitsubishi's president and COO from Japan, he came out and said it's from bumper to bumper a new car. Well, I think that's stretching it a little bit. It is certainly more evolution rather than revolution. 
one of the things they've done, or se- several things they've done in the area of noise, vibration and harshness, is 39 changes. None of them huge structural changes, but little things to try and make it a smoother a ride. They've even gone down, you'll be pleased to know, to improve the quality of the door closure through revised door seal structure so it sounds better when you close the door. Overall it was, I think, a much nicer car to drive for that. Also a better CVT gearbox, that's continually variable transmission, operates a bit like an automatic, only it gives you an infinite number of gears between two set ratios. That uh, has better pickup, better drive, less, less flaring of the engine and it uh, converts the torque better, which I think is rather good. I drove a couple of the engines, the diesel and the 2-litre petrol manual. I've got to say, gee, uh, that little manual uh, is only 2 litres, 110 kilowatts. It has to work rather hard. You have to change the gears rather regularly to do that. If you're a keen uh, manual driver, you might be happy with it. If you're buying it just because it's the cheapest, you might find you have to work a bit hard. Now, does it look good? Well, Mitsubishi said that looks was one of the, if not the main feature, that people were using to pick a car in this type of category. Now, the old model looked a bit conservative, I'd even say a bit bland. Uh, The new model is much more aggressive. It's got uh, the typical grille and bumper bar, but then underneath it splays out. Uh, offering a big mouth underneath the bumper bar there, a bit like the Lexus in its looks. LED lights at the front certainly makes for the more squinty light design, rather than going way back to the old round light design. They're smaller and they're brighter, and they come with daylight running lights, which are a good safety feature and they're standard. Also in the looks department, they have 18-inch alloy wheels as standard across the range. So what does it cost? 28500 it starts at for the 2-litre manual and goes right up to 46500 of course, plus on-road costs. Three models, the LS, the XLS and the Exceed. Some of the base models you can get two-wheel drive. Uh, But four-wheel drive is, of course, uh, available right up to the top of the range. Diesel Exceed. Is the car important for Mitsubishi? Well, Mitsubishi has been through some lean times. And their models are getting quite old, especially things like, I mean, in Australia, the Triton Ute. It's their best-selling model, but they have been selling it on a run-out. We'll get a new one of those in a couple of weeks' time as well. So they need to be seen to be developing new models. And so the Outlander gives them a chance to do that. Uh, One of the executives said it seemed like a long time coming, and it has been that for new models from Mitsubishi. And in fact, their president did say now that they have achieved some stability, they're, they're being able to pump money into the development of new models. And so it should be good. So the Mitsubishi Outlander, medium size SUV, uh, better quality, uh, an evolution uh, that makes it nicer to drive and better to drive and looks a lot better. Overdrive, answering your questions across Australia.
And a couple of other cars on the market. Citroen has upgraded their sporty car, the DS models, uh, particularly the DS3, both as a hatchback and as a soft top convertible cabriolet. And now the DS name came from that given to the incredibly different looking cars from the late 1950s and 1960s. You may remember those uh, stunning looking vehicles. No one's ever tried to mirror that particular look. But now the new DS3 and cabrio, uh, they will be available in highly spec form. So they've got a lot of spec to them and only one model. A little bit like what Citroen has done with the Picasso people mover type vehicle. Now they put the price up. The new hatch comes at about $34,000 plus on road. That's up over $4,000 but they say it's got over $5,500 of extra features. And the Cabrio which is only $2,500 more than the hatchback it's not bad for a, a convertible, thirty-six thousand five ninety, up about three thousand six hundred dollars, but again five and a half thousand or more dollars worth of extra equipment. So an interesting little car. What they're going to do with the DS model is they're going to try and call it its own brand name. I don't sure know about that. They don't sell very many. A bit like Lexus for Toyota and Infinity for Nissan. Uh, I think that uh, Lexus, particularly uh, Citroen, particularly in Australia, is going to be struggling to really justify a separate brand name. They're doing it around the world, and perhaps that's what justifies it. And finally, uh, the Volkswagen Polo, Polo GTI. Now, the GTI badge is a big thing for Volkswagen. The Golf GTI is an iconic car. Now, the Polo, it stands on its own as a little car with great handling and plenty of power. And, you know, the Polo six-speed manual starts at $27,500. Geez, that's cheap. The uh, dual-clutch a uh, seven-speed automatic automated type of gearbox starts at just under thirty thousand dollars. Of course, plus on roads. So a couple of cars on the market, some good stuff, well worth looking. We'll probably uh, do some more detailed road tests in the future. Overdrive. For more information and past programs, go to drivenmedia.com.au. And it's that time again where we talk about the more unusual stories uh, to do with the wonderful world of motoring and transport. And again, we're joined by Errol Smith. Good day, Errol. G'day, David. And Brian Smith. G'day, Brian. G'day, David. Now, there's an issue of the BART, the Bay Area Rapid Transit System, uh, over there in... Uh, in um, where is it in? It's yeah, San Francisco. San Francisco. San, San Francisco. That's yeah. the one, isn't yeah. it? I, can, I, can Calif- I knew it was in California somewhere. Uh, but uh, can you make a dress out of the tickets that you can get on that? Well, apparently you can. Uh, a lady has done that, um, and uh, uh, they've managed to make this glorious uh, three uh, mid-thigh length cocktail dress made out of tickets. Now it took three years to do it, but I think that was most of that was collecting the tickets themselves. So, uh, gentlemen, art from public transport paraphernalia. Do you think it's a a, a future direction there? Um, I'm a bit worried about um, uh, when she's wearing this if it rains. 
Yeah, <laughs> I had the same thought, actually, Errol. Because uh, we'll point out, these tickets are made out of cardboard or, or paper, and they're sewn together, but it's it's they're not cloth, that's for sure. So, yes, you're wearing a, a little cardboard dress, I guess. Um, yeah, you'd have to be mindful of the weather. Uh, and, yeah, and, and no, no, keep, keep away from smokers, too. <laughs> yeah, but I tell you what, if you're ever travelling on the BART, you, you wouldn't need to worry about losing your ticket or... Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Can, can I see? Can I see your ticket, ma'am? Oh, no yes. well. well the other thing ma'am. is, do you have to take the dress off to put it through the machine? <laughs> Feed it through Feed one it through in one, line one, at a time. One at a time. Yeah. It's, uh, if, if if you if you put your ticket in, would that like like gradually sort of unstring it? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> That's what- Keep flicking through, what, like the like the, the thread that takes the dress apart. You know. <laughs> now, if we did one with metro cards, you could you'd almost be like armor. Oh well, it? you like know a- what that would be like. Uh, the 1995 uh, American Express card dress at the Oscars. Uh, very, yes, very Lizzie very right. Gardner, yes. an Australian, and she actually won the Oscar for best costume design, uh, and but has also won the award for the worst Oscar dress of all time. <laughs> For that, that dress, too, of course, the, the, the problem with the opal card dress would be that if you got on, you've got to swipe when you get on and when you get off. So if you forgot which one you used when you get on, then you're stuffed. No, you just stroll through and like a hundred people can follow you free of charge. <laughs> I was thinking the same thing. I was thinking you just you just need to follow whoever's got one of these things around, and you just have free travel. <laughs> now, of course, um, this is only possible now because of high tech. And the old days when you would have uh, spent 10 or 20 cents or, you know, a halfpenny for um, a bus ticket, <coughs> you know, you really, uh, it would have been a little more difficult to put together. Certainly those flimsy bus tickets would not work uh, for anything possibly other than underwear, maybe you, you know, whip up a singlet out of them. Yes. You know, the other problem, too, is that uh, the inspectors would have punched holes in them. And so oh, I do. See through. Fishnets. Yeah, you would have had little boys looking very closely <laughs> at, the, at the desk. I wonder if one of the uh, tickets said no service available, exactly where would you put that on the, on the dress? <laughs> Concession area. <laughs> Concession area. <laughs> <Yes. laughs> all, all, all stops end here. Yes. <laughs> Uh, that's very good. Well, gentlemen, uh, Errol, you have a story for us. Yeah, well, this is this is about the internet of all things. It, the internet's created a lot of job opportunities, but it's also seen some traditional jobs dwindle. And one that's perhaps perhaps not so obvious is the humble bike messenger. They were at their busiest in the nineties, delivering bank checks, letters, and documents across town. All things are, are which, of course, are all done online. But the world's best bike couriers still have a way to show off their skills at the 2015 Cycle Messenger World Championships being held in Melbourne's Docklands. And uh, it's not all show here. They'll actually deliver real parcels as part of the competition. Do you reckon this is a, a way to, to, to keep this kind of uh, this tradition going? Look, it's like heritage listing. Isn't it? It's like heritage listing. This is a, a dying industry, um, and uh, it's kind of like just just staggering along with some, you know, kind of like maybe uh, medieval fairs where, where people do jousting. <laughs> it's the same sort of thing. Nobody's nobody's using bike couriers anymore, really, are they? Remember, they used to 
transport a lot of things urgently for documents for signage. Now it's just not happening anymore. So uh, they are a dying breed. Um, yeah, so it's yeah, so I see it as a strange and anachronistic thing. If people dress up for jousting with helmets and what have you, they'd have to dress up for the bike things by putting on big uh, wigs of those dreadlocks. <laughs> I can say yes, or dress up indeed by putting on a helmet, <laughs> which hardly any of them seem to wear. Well, that, that that wouldn't be authentic then, would it? No. That's I wonder true. what I wonder what sort of competition yeah. you'd have in a in a bike courier championship. Running red lights that would be yes, a... absolutely leaping over other like injured pedestrians. Yeah. Well, I once saw a bike courier kick a lady crossing the street. So. Pe- <laughs> oh, Pedestrian abuse might be part of it. <laughs> oh, we, we talked about riding bikes last week on uh, on rough surfaces. Surviving tram tracks. I reckon that uh, yes. would be quite a task. Indeed. Yes, especially on an angle. That's that's a killer. Yes. Well, I was just wondering, if, if all the bike couriers in the world are going to these championships, then who's going to deliver all the packages? <laughs> oh, they <laughs> deliver the invitations, Errol. <laughs> Get the bike couriers to deliver the invitations to it. <laughs> It said most of his company, this guy that's organising it, deliveries are now flowers, fruit, vegetables and dental items. What's dental that? Is, items? Is someone left their dentures at home? Toothbrushes. Oh, it could be that. <laughs> yeah. Could be that, yeah. I think this they, is they, the they... Uh, your, your uh, fillings and things that they get um, and uh, crowns that they get made. But why on a bicycle um, get made courier? sort of real time and things. I guess you can't scan them. I don't know, I guess it's Can fast. You? Maybe you could 3D print them now, Errol. <laughs> uh, now, they may make a comeback because Amazon apparently is trialling bicycle messengers for a one-hour delivery service in New York. You okay. wouldn't want to charge too much for the delivery because a book can't wear the cost of that too high, can they? Well, it's true. These guys make something between uh, $3.35 to $130 per delivery. Uh, some of them get paid per delivery, others get an hourly rate. But it's not, it's not the sort of uh, you know, career that you're going to retire on, that's for sure. No, mm. $25. But David, I want my book now. <laughs> and I'm prepared to pay a premium so yeah. someone can sweat through their lycra pants to get it to me. Uh, get your Kindle out, Errol. Read it electronically. Well, that's, that's true too. And finally, Brian, you have a story for us. David, a story of a wrong button. Um, Virgin Atlantic uh, flight. It's the inaugural flight from um, uh, from Manchester to Atlanta, Georgia. Was um, uh, about to t- to take off, and they were going to celebrate this uh, achievement by. Um, spraying the airplane with water from fire trucks in that sort of uh, dramatic way as the aircraft passes through the the kind of arches of uh, bombarding water. One of the firemen pressed the wrong button and sprayed it with uh, fire retardant foam instead of water. Now, uh, as soon as this happened, uh, it clogged up the jet engines and the turbine blades and the aircraft was grounded and forced to undergo a safety check that resulted in the flight being cancelled. The flight had 257 passengers who weren't on the board at the time. They were waiting inside the terminal for the plane to, to pull up to the gate and they uh, initially faced a five-hour delay before it was cancelled. They Virgin Atlantic gave them a glass of Prosecco and some cupcakes. Hmm. 
um, but then ended mm. up having to put a bunch of them in hotels overnight. So just a, a little flick of the wrong button there, David, a bit of tragedy. I didn't know Fire Engines sort of had that. Are they like a dispenser at a pub? You press the right-hand button, you get lemonade. Premix. Yeah, yeah, or the left button and get coke. Yeah, that's right, David. Yeah, the children who try to press two or three at the same time to make some kind of hideous mixture, and I think that's what they use for the foam. Oh, okay. okay. Or yes, well, McDonald's it's, of course, uh, soft serve. <laughs> Does it all spurt out of the one hose? I, I, well, I don't know the that's mechanics. A good question. Of this. No, I don't know either. These water cannons. Um, Hmm. Uh, I, I'm not sure whether the police use a, have a foam button. It's for their water cannons. Uh, hmm. When they're, they're com, you know, controlling a crowd, it'd be you know, throw foam, sticky foam all over everybody. Oh, well, hmm. yeah. That, plastic, that... plastic bullets all, all comes out of the same nozzle. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, a bit, well, it's a bit like a bird's behind, really. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, that's what the policeman said. I thought I was pressing the foam button, but I ended up with a bullet. Yeah. <laughs> well, of course, they do this for ships too, don't they? So cruise liners will have tugs, tugboats and things that are shooting water up in the air. I guess they don't have much call for foam, I suppose. I, so They did uh, it without people in the plane. I, I would have thought they might have done it with people in the plane, not the foam, but just the water, intended hmm. water, just to hmm. sort of make them feel special. No, I would have thought that'd be... Yeah, I thought that'd be sort of more exciting for the passengers to go through yeah. this sort of, you know, water arch. But um, but uh, I don't know. I, I guess they were they were pacified because I know when I'm faced with a five hour delay, that uh, a couple of cupcakes will just calm me straight <laughs> right down. <laughs> That's right. And all you really want is to have your airplane trip a bit like going to the car wash, uh, in the the drive through car wash, isn't it? Sorry. I wondered about car washes. Are they like that? That you can press the button and get foam, and press the button yes. and get water, can't you? Indeed, out of the same sort of wand if you do your own. But I'm thinking of the old days where you used to drive your car into that area and, and all those those flashing and flailing um, brushes and things would come flying out over the car. Always good for the kids. Uh, sit in the car as these things piled into your car and water sprayed everywhere mm. at high pressure. Good fun. Gentlemen, that is fantastic. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you, David. <laughs> no worries. And that's Errol Smith and Brian Smith talking and discussing some of the more unusual stories to do with motoring and transport. And this has been Overdrive. My thanks to Errol Smith, Brian Smith, Brent Davidson and Paul Just for their great help during the program. Overdrive is syndicated to stations across Australia on the Community Radio Network. I'm David Brown. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.